Good afternoon. It's Dr. Jill Brooks from First Healthcare Compliance. I'm very pleased today to have Diane Ferry, the president and CEO of StarMed, with us today. She is going to do uh, a webinar for confidentiality and release of information review. Diane? Thank you, Jill. Appreciate that. Thank you for tuning in today to our confidentiality and release of information review. And I want to thank First Healthcare Compliance for having me here today to talk about a topic that is uh, near and dear to many hospital staff members and physician yeah. office staff. And today, what I want to do is start at the very beginning. If we can um, go to the agenda, we can see that first and foremost, we want to talk about what release of information actually is, especially in the healthcare setting. And so, in the very beginning of um, release of information and, and learning about what you can release and what you cannot release and authorizations, I want to ask a question. And the question is this, who owns the medical record? I do this seminar for many people across the country. And I always ask this very, very basic question because there are always people in the audience that don't get it right. So I would ask for a raise of um, hands, but of course I can't see your hands. Who owns the medical record? Do you think the patient owns the medical record or do you think the facility in which the medical record was generated owns the record? The facility owns the medical record and this is why. Number one, it is actually considered the business record for the facility. It has in the medical record all the documentation about a specific patient from start to end of their care. It has all the different drugs that have been given to the patient, especially when they're in the um, inpatient setting. And so it's what the hospital uses and what the hospital gets paid on after they assign a, a code to it. And so the medical record is considered owned by the facility. Please know that, understand that. It is not the patient. Now, the patient does have access to that medical record. And today we want to talk about the patient's access to that record and their rights and our jobs as the gatekeepers for the record. So what is a request for health information. Any written correspondence or form requesting the actual copies of the health information. And today we know that the federal government has gotten very involved in this and they have very, very specific guidelines on what needs to be on an authorization form. We're going to talk about that later. And I know people will say, wow, that they um, didn't know a lot of that information. So requests for health information come from the attorneys, insurance companies, healthcare providers, patients, peer review organizations, RACs, MACs, and other authorized requesters. And we, as the gatekeepers, have to make sure that those requests are legitimate. We don't want information going out without specific and proper authorization. So the requests come into the health information department, whether it be at a physician office or at a hospital throughout the day. 
very first thing that should happen is someone should open the mail if they get it through snail mail and they should date stamp that request. Now, why do we say date stamp the request? Well, if there's ever any question as to when it was received, you may have a request letter and the date could be in December and you only received it in January. You want to be able to prove that you received it on a specific date. So it's always very, very good to date stamp the request itself. And so most people, when they get that and open up the mail, have the date that it actually was received in your department or in your office. You also have to thoroughly review the request. Make sure that the request is asking for health information. Many times we'll have requests and it'll ask for a form to be filled out or it'll ask for other information. Always make sure you read your request and understand what it is that must be sent out to the requester. And then you have to meet certain minimum requirements of a valid authorization. And this is really important. You need to make sure your authorizations are valid or HIPAA compliant. And I go out to hospitals and doctor's offices all over the country. And I find that in physician offices specifically, their authorizations are not always HIPAA compliant. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to go over the items that have to be on an authorization itself. So in the um, medical record department or in a physician office, we have what we call a release of information analyst. As I said before, they are the gatekeepers of a patient's protected health information. It is the job of all of us to make sure that information is only given out to those individuals that have proper authorization to receive that information. And it's becoming more and more difficult today to make sure that we protect our patients and at the same time get it out quickly and timely. We always want to make sure that it is accurate and it is timely. Patients need their information, and it is vital that we make sure that that information get out quickly, especially if they're going to see a specialist. I was at a physician office yesterday, and they said that if they don't receive the patient's medical records two days prior to the patient's appointment, they will cancel the appointment. And think about that. Think about how many records have to get out to a physician's office and that they have to have that information. And if we are busy making sure that it's protected and that we don't send it out, that patient is going to be the one that suffers from that. So we always want to make sure that we're patient-centric. We always want to make sure that what we are doing is in the best interest of the patient themselves. Now, we also can provide or deny access to information based on the documentation that has been submitted when the information is requested. Now, remember, again, and I'm going to go over this over and over again, it is imperative that we get it out timely and that we get it out accurately. Patients are waiting for their records to get to physician offices, and we can't delay that process. There have been so many 
cases today. And so many people that have told me that, oh, I went to such and such hospital and I couldn't get my medical records. So we have to make sure that we are doing what is in the best interest of that patient and yet following the federal and state and policies and procedures of the institution that we're working in. So we want to make sure that all the disclosures follow the specific guidelines. Now, if you're in a hospital medical record department or if you're in a physician office, you want to make sure that you always have policies and procedures that relate to the release of health information. My company does business in four states. And within those four states, each state has their own very, very specific guidelines on release of information. In the state of Delaware, there are very few guidelines. In the state of Pennsylvania, there are very detailed guidelines. In the state of um, New Jersey, there are very detailed guidelines on the release of health information. And these guidelines should be updated um, at least once a year. If you have policies and procedures, update them once a year. So let's talk about the authorization itself. And here is an area that most people don't always get correct. So the very first thing that we want to make sure is that it's in plain language and that we can understand it. The other thing is it must be addressed to the healthcare provider that is releasing the information, and that must be on the authorization itself. Now, we get a lot of attorney requests, and they will have a beautifully written letter on the top of the authorization that comes with the authorization. And on that letter, it's very specific usually. They have it addressed to the facility. They have the name of the patient, the date of birth, identifying information. But when you look at that authorization, it doesn't always have the information that we need to have. And remember, the patient signs the authorization. They're not signing that letter. They're signing the authorization. So on the authorization, it must be addressed to the healthcare provider where the information is coming from. We need to have the name of the individual or facility that's going to receive the information. We need the address. For example, if we have an authorization and it says it's to be released to Dr. Smith in Wilmington, Delaware, well, there may be 10 Dr. Smiths in Wilmington, Delaware. So we need to make sure that we have a complete name and a complete address where the information is to be received. Now, this is the greatest area that individuals don't get right because as they're filling out the authorization, they don't know always the address of their physician. So they'll put Dr. Smith in Wilmington, Delaware. That's not going to work. So then what happens is we end up sending that back to the patient it's going to delay the sending out of information because we as gatekeepers must make sure that the individual physician name and complete address are on that form. And there are no exceptions to that. You can't decide or guess. You have to make sure you've got that right. Now, many people will say you need to have the date of birth 
on the authorization? Well, the actual information that we need is we need enough information to accurately identify the patient. So if the date of birth is not on there, you don't automatically send that authorization back. You need enough information to accurately identify the patient. You may need their address, you may need their social security number, and if you use social security number, only use the last four digits. Don't use the entire social security number because with identity theft today, it's very important that we only use the last four digits. And if you have an area on your authorization, make sure you X out all the areas except for the last four because we know that we send those authorizations out. They go to law offices. Many, many people see those authorizations. It's unfortunate the patient rarely sees the authorization after they sign it, but it goes out to a lot of people, and a lot of people have um, their hands on that information, so we want to make sure we protect the patient at all times. So we need enough information to accurately identify the patient. Of course, we need the patient name and the full patient name. We don't necessarily have to have the full middle name, but we would want to have at least a middle initial. And on your authorization form, you should have an area that has the middle initial um, available so that the patient can write that in. Then we need to have on it the purpose for which the information is to be used. Now, many times we know that the um, reason for a person getting their medical records is for continuing care. So that's the purpose for which a patient might need their records or for legal purposes. If we have on there that it's continuing care, it's filled out, we need to have that in its entirety filled out. So the patient does need to put the purpose for which they are requesting their health information. It's very important that we always have that information. And then we need to specifically identify the information to be released. So if there's a discharge summary and an operative report, the patient needs to write down exactly what it is that they want. Most authorization forms will have as the first checkoff box, complete medical record. So what do you think the patient is going to check off when they see that complete medical record? That's what they're gonna check if it's there because they don't know necessarily what they want. So if you can be specific on your authorization forms and put complete at the end, at least the patient will have had to read all the different areas. They may need only an EKG. So you don't want to send the entire medical record if all, they're ask, if all they need is an EKG, but they may not know. So make sure that we only send minimum necessary, and that's according to HIPAA. We also need the signature of the patient or his or her legal representative. And we need to talk about signatures here. Because when you have a signature on an authorization, you must check that with the medical record itself. Today with electronic signatures, it's very difficult to actually tell if that patient signed it. And just think of yourselves going to the grocery store and you have that electronic pad and I know I scribble on that. Nobody would ever be able to tell that that's my actual signature. So we have to make sure that we have an actual signature and that it matches against those 
signatures of the patient within the medical record. And we look at the consent forms for that. We would look at and we would compare the signatures on the authorization and the consent forms within the actual medical record. We want to make sure it is the actual patient. I tell lots of stories when I give my um, release of information seminars. And one story that I have is that a patient years ago wrote a letter to me and they, they said that, please never ever release my medical records. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I wonder what happened. So I gave that person a call and what I found out was that she had a significant other and she had a PFA. It's a protection from abuse order against that significant other. And what happened was that this patient was in the hospital and the significant other knew that she was in the hospital. So what did he do? He wrote out on a piece of paper an authorization to release her medical records because he had all the information. He had her name, he had her date of birth, he had her social security number. He wrote everything out on a piece of paper. So if you looked at the authorization, what did you find? It had all the elements of a HIPAA compliant authorization. But what happened was nobody checked the signature. And what, when this patient went for her follow-up visit, which was in the discharge instructions, guess who was waiting for that patient? So in this particular case, it ended up well. But if we don't check those signatures, it could end up not so well. And we don't want to be on Channel 6 Action News because we didn't check signatures. So it is imperative that you check those signatures always. We also need the date of the signature. So when the patient signs their name, we also need a date. Now, why do you think we need a date? Well, we have to make sure that we don't release anything after that date because a patient cannot authorize anything to be released after that date because it didn't happen yet. So we always have to make sure we have a date on that authorization. Again, Remember, we want to send out medical records timely and accurately. And when we have to make sure that your authorization is HIPAA compliant, it becomes very difficult sometimes to make sure we get them out timely when we have to check these things and make sure these things are on the authorization. And if they're not, we have to send them back. That is so important that we make sure that we truly are the gatekeepers. Now, Here's an area that is of great controversy today, the expiration date of the authorization. On the authorization, in the wording on the authorization, it will have that the authorization is good for, I never really see three months, but typically it's six months or a year. Now, what that means is this, and there are many interpretations, and I've even argued this with many, many attorneys. The expiration date means this. When the patient signs the authorization for release of information to a specific entity, that information can go out to that entity for a year. But remember, if the patient signed it on January 1st, 2014, we can't send out information from May of 2014. 
we may only send out information up to the date on the pa that the patient signed. So if they signed January 1st, 2014, we can only release up to January 1st, 2014, and not after that. Now, if a patient has a chronic condition, and in physician offices, we often have the physician's hand lab reports and information to the patients. You can put that in your privacy practice that you're going to do that. But if you're going to have a patient sign an authorization, they can only have information sent out up to the date of their signature. You can't authorize something that did not yet happen. And that's very important to remember. And a lot of people don't get this right. And we end up having arguments with individuals all the time about this specific um, requirement. Because people will say, well, I can release, it's good for a year, and I can release any information up to a year. A patient can only request that their information be sent from that date that they sent, that they signed on that authorization itself. And if you have any questions, at the very end, I'll give my information and you can email me any questions that you might have. And remember, in each state, if you're in a different state, you may have different rules and regulations and state rules and regulations. And I'm very involved with the four states that we work in, which is New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Maryland. And so I know those laws very, very well. So if you have a question specifically, you can always email me and I'm happy to get back to you on those. So we also have to have a statement of the individual's right to revoke the authorization. Now what does that mean? That means that the patient can take back that authorization. If today they decide that they want to get medical records from a specific physician office or from a hospital and they fill out an authorization and then they have second thoughts, they can call that hospital and they can call that doctor's office and say, listen, I don't want my information to go out. And that's what we mean by revoking the authorization. We also have a statement on the authorization that says that the information may be subject to redisclosure. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that when we send medical records to a hospital or physician office and that information becomes part of their legal record, that they then may send out that information if it's requested by maybe a subpoena comes in and they want the entire and complete medical record, then they would have and send your information out. And that's what it means to be subject to redisclosure. Now, the authorization must be in writing or be given via the computer. Electronic signatures today is a big area of contention as well. Some hospitals and physician offices do not accept e-signatures unless it is from the Disability or um, Social Security Administration office. And why? Because we don't have a really great way of checking those signatures. Because as I said before, you have a, a, an electronic signature and just think of yourselves when you go to the grocery store, you scribble your name really quickly and that's what happens on these e-signatures and we can't match them and we don't want anything to happen to those patients. Now, the other thing with a HIPAA compliant authorization form, and this is with the new meaningful use um, requirements, 
The patients now and requesters have the authority to decide how they want that information. If they want it in paper form, if they want it on a CD, a jump drive, or an electronic upload. And so patients now have that and requesters have the ability to decide how they want their information. And hospitals and physician offices must now accommodate the patients and requesters of health information in those ways. So you have to have an area on your authorization itself that says a checkbox would be great for this. You know, if a patient wants it on paper, CD, jump drive, or electronic upload. And so these are the elements of a HIPAA compliant authorization form. And I know we're running out of time. So I just want to go through a couple more things on the authorization form itself. If you would like to have me send you one of our authorization forms, I'm more than happy to do that for you. And so you can email me and I'll give you my email address at the end. And you can, um, and I'm happy to send it to you. A lot of people have asked us, uh, StarMed, to send out our authorization forms because that uh, we are HIPAA compliant. And a lot of insurance companies and attorneys also, we, we ask that they use our forms as well because theirs are not always HIPAA compliant. A um, couple of more things if we have time, and I'm just going to go through this really quickly. Again, a patient or legal representative's signature must be checked. Always make sure you check those signatures against a signature that's actually in the medical record itself. There are sensitive records, and um, the four main areas of sensitive records are drug and alcohol, mental health, psychiatric, HIV, and AIDS records. And if you have a sensitive diagnosis on a medical record, then you need to make sure that the patient has specifically authorized the release of those specific sensitive records. It is imperative that we get that on the authorization itself. And today, as we know, everybody's depressed and anxious over the economy and the fact that um, their children are going to college and they have to find a college. So we have to make sure that just because a record has depression and anxiety in it, which is a behavioral health or mental health record, we want to make sure that we don't delay getting those records out. So we must make sure that the patients understand how to completely fill out an authorization form. I'm going to just go by this quickly. We know that top reasons for breaches of health information are laptops and sending wrong information. And today, the number one breach is coming from physician offices because they haven't been trained properly. It's been whispered down the lane for many, many years. Susie, that was at the physician office 30 years ago, taught Mary, and now Mary's doing it, and nobody's really taught Mary exactly how to do it properly. I'm going to just go by this and go right to, if you have any questions and you'd like me to answer them, I'm always happy to answer them. Take down my um, email address and I will be in touch with you promptly and get back to you. And thank you very much to First Healthcare Compliance for having me here today. Well, thank you, Diane. Again, her information is there on the screen. And um, if you know of anybody that uh, would benefit from watching this, it can be accessed on our YouTube channel um, at First Healthcare, www.firsthcc.com. And thank you again. Thank you.